We are live now. Welcome. Welcome to episode 108 from The Shed Ends. Myself, Theo. How are you doing, Theo? How's things? What's new? Yeah, not bad. I'm smiling. Um, it's Friday. I'm always smiling on Friday. Um, I've got a bit of a cold, so apologies if my voice sounds a bit croaky. Um, I have a really bad winter headache and sore throat. And like I mentioned to you right before, I'm meant to be going to the Excel Center to watch some live tennis um, after this recording. Mm. So fingers crossed, I'm in a I'm in good shape to go. And also got tickets to Chelsea Sheffield tomorrow at the bridge. Um, first game at the bridge actually since the Chelsea City game. Um, so it's been a bit of a while. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed, I'm in full fitness to be able to attend both those sporting events. But then now looking forward to the weekend. I uh, saw no rain scheduled in London, which is always positive. Um, but yeah, how are you doing? Looking forward to the weekend as well. Yeah, good. Um, countdown begins, I think, you know, um, wind down work and... Yeah, there's lots of sport on this weekend, which I'm looked at. Obviously, the darts, I know it's Chelsea, but the darts is, is something I look forward to every Christmas. And so that starts tonight. There's Tottenham on tonight, which would be good as well. Um, but yeah, just looking forward to sort of winding down for the Christmas break. Like you said, you know, big game tomorrow against Sheffield United. So yeah, there's a lot to look forward to, a lot to be happy about, even considering things are Chelsea related. But we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, please go to the channel, subscribe, like the video, let us know your thoughts in the comments as well. Um, and again, the link tree link in the description description will take you to all the social accounts and um, all the previous episodes as well. So let's um, let's try and go back slightly. I don't want to talk about the game because it's out of my mind, it's out of my memory now. But just talk about the Everton the Everton game, the performance there, and. I mean, I said in, in midweek when I did the review for the for the for the YouTube channel that it was it wasn't as bad as Manchester United, but it was definitely close in second place in terms of the performance and and just how poor we were. But just give me your assessment, really, of the game very briefly, and just you know, it was always going to be tough going to Goodison Park. But did you was you surprised how bad the performance was from Chelsea? Not really. I feel nothing surprises me anymore with Chelsea. Um, and also it's one of those fixtures and stadiums that's a bit of a a bogey um, fixture for us. And it's proved to be across the years. I don't think we've won at Goodison Park back-to-back in the last 15 years at all. Um, fortunate to win there last year through a Jorginho penalty um, in a 1-0 win on the opening game of the season. But other than that off form there, it's been really, really poor. Um, I did expect us to try to get a goal. I think my prediction was we'd lose 3-1. So I thought we would score. Um, like it was just a really poor performance. I do agree it wasn't as poor as the Old Trafford um, game on Wednesday, but it was still kind of up there with one of a really bad performance that I've watched in the last decade or so at Chelsea. And it just felt like, like I always say, in the last maybe year or two, just no identity in the way we play football. Um, no really leaders. Um, we go one nil down and we don't really expect us to score an equaliser or push for that that goal that we needed. And instead, we can see another one. Um I mean, Levi Colwell's bought in uh, to, um, to to replace Thiago Silva uh, and um, who was rested. And I think it was the Monaco pairing of Bajia Schiele and Dissessi as the centre-backs. But Colwell, for the for the first goal, is, is poor defending. He's just got to kind of throw himself at that ball. Um, I'll mention it a lot on his podcast again recently, uh, mainly because I've been listening to a lot of the Obi Mikel um, podcast. And they talk a lot and they kind of go back on memories of past players and how it was like on the dressing room, on the pitch. The likes of Cavalio, Terry, Cahill, even Mikel, they'd be throwing themselves at that ball to block it. Whether that be their, their legs, their, their face, their stomach. But nowadays we just have these players and again, Colwell for the, the United second goal, McTominay, he falls down like a sack of potatoes. Um, there is a good, there's a good player in there, but he's just got to man up a bit and really 
really kind of assert his dominance on the pitch, especially when he's playing a big role, whether that be left back or centre back. Um, no Silva, no Sterling in that first team. Again, no leaders on that pitch. Zero, zero leaders. We had Gallagher back, which is probably the closest player we had to, to being a leader. We had Reese James back. Um, still a lot of question marks about him being a leader for us or not. And then he goes off after, I think, 26 minutes with another hamstring injury. Um, and I think if you want to learn more about that injury and our thoughts on that injury, and I just echo all of your your opinions, just listen to the previous um, kind of um, assessment of the injury, because I completely agree with everything you said. Why give him the captain's armband? Mm-hmm. Why kind of rush him back into games when he's clearly not fit? Um, it's partially he's to blame as well. I think the the fitness team are also to blame because, um, yes, you should have a say on whether he feels fit to play, comfortable to play. It's yeah. the same recurring injury. And all you've got to do is look at his history of injuries since the 2019 season. And it's the same recurring ones every time. They just keep him out for a length of time. So I think from a Chelsea perspective, I think it's quite 50-50 at the moment. A lot of the fans are growing impatient, getting frustrated. Uh, some of us are even asking you know, to sell him. And I think his value would have dropped since maybe 2021 or 2022, given his injury record. There's another set of fans that are always kind of optimistic that he'll find you know, his... his, his, his um, his level again, and he'll have that consistent run of games. But the only solution now for Reese James is surgery. It's mm. got to be surgery. And he's reported to be back in March, but realistically that will be April. And when he comes back April, how can we be guaranteed that he'll stay fit again if he doesn't opt for this surgery? Mm. So yeah, it's growing, growing really frustrated. Um, and we're still unsure if Malagusta is fit for the Sheffield game tomorrow. I think Potter is doing his conference soon. Um, but it's just frustrating times for a Chelsea fan. Um, but I think watching that game, I was very frustrated, but I wasn't surprised. I really wasn't surprised at all. And I think both our kind of pre-match um, predictions echo the fact that we weren't surprised with the results. Yeah, it's, it's so strange. It's almost like Chelsea admin have just heard you about the, the press conference. We've just got an update. Malo Gusto is still on that injury list. Um, he's back in full team training. Um, it also says Nkunku's on there as well. So I don't know whether that means they're actually fit enough. It's it's a bit of a strange one. Um, maybe it means that they are both fit then. If they're back in full team training, you'd assume that they're... I mean, I know we we posted on our socials yesterday that Nkunku's back, he's been in full team training. He's expected to at least make the bench for, for tomorrow's game, which we'll talk about. But um, no, I agree with you 100%. You know, I think it was one of those games that was always going to be difficult going to Goodison Park. You know, they've been in really good form. I think they'd won um, three out of their last five before they played us. So, you know, I think they they might have lost one in between that or drawn a game. But, you know, they're in coming, coming in really good form. Um, even with the points deduction, you still expected Everton to come out and fight. You know, and they, you know, with, without that point deduction, they would have actually been ahead of us, I think, in the league now. So it's just worrying for me how we get turned over so quickly. And I think we had, uh, I'm going to say, at least 70% possession of the ball um, against Everton. And we still managed to lose the game, which is a massive worry for me. If, we have got, if we've got that much possession of a football and we still come out as losers and and I agree with you, you know, 100%, especially Cowell for the goal. Um, he has to just come out and throw his body like that. He has to. He, it's almost the inexperienced side of him, I think, as a defender that he just does. I mean, he's a professional, he should know this, but to not be able to just know you've got to close that space down and block the ball and, and put your body on the line just to stop it from going beyond you, for me, is, is crazy as a, as, a, as a professional footballer that you can't do that. But it was always going to be difficult. Um, I want to talk about Amanda Broyer as well before we talk about Reese James but he was someone that I was glad to see come into the starting lineup. but I also felt that he didn't impact the game maybe is that because of the lack of consistency and the lack of minutes he's had 
before that starting uh, role that was given to him on Sunday. But I mean, it, it, it's just, it feels like the lesser of two evils when we talk about Borussia and Jackson. Neither of them seem good enough to to lead the line and be the number nine for us. But um, I mean, where do we go from here? Because obviously, there's you know there, there's a lot that he offers. Is he someone that should be on that? retained list of players or do we need to loan him out maybe do we need to consider even moving him on as well to try and free up some more space in the squad yeah it's a tricky one because obviously Jackson's always underperformed and um, every time he underperforms Chelsea fans are quick to say oh let's play Brozier things will be better with Brozier um, I do agree I don't think he's had a, a consistent run of games to actually prove himself and I do want to give him that run of games like I'd start him again tomorrow and even perhaps against uh, Wolves and Luton or Palace in those games post Christmas yep. um, but I, I still think he's got better attributes than Jackson to be a better number nine for us. But does he have all those attributes needed to be the ultimate number nine that we need to score those 20, 25 goals a season like we had with Costa, Drogba and um, you know those, those prolific strikers that we had in the past? But um, it's still a tricky one. And a lot of the, the players that are shortlisted for us to sign in January are strikers. So my, my gut feeling is that Poch doesn't really trust either Brozier or Jackson. And there's a lot of talks of Fulham wanting to take Brozier on loan or even on a permanent sale. Mm. Um, so there are clubs that are interested. Um, we have to remember he's come back from a very bad injury. So it's going to take him some time. But also time isn't really usually a thing for Chelsea fans and the Chelsea Football Club. But that being said, I still want to see him play um, the next couple of games before, uh, in the run-up to Christmas. Yeah, I think he needs that. I think we both said that on the last episode as well, that he needs a, a consistent run of games to be able to prove whether he's he warrants a place in that squad. And I, I still think, you know, I think back to his time on loan and how he was, you know, developing there. And there were signs that he could clearly see that he was a good striker. I just think coming back from that injury, it is going to take time. And, and I think we have to, you know, I, d- I don't like to use the word patience with a lot of players, but I think there is times when you have to have that patience and be able to understand that someone's coming back from their injury. It's going to take, you know, a long time for him to be able to, to build up those match minutes and the fitness that comes with that as well. So, I'm keen to see how Potticino lines up, which we'll talk about later in the episode about, you know, who we would go with and hopefully Potticino mirrors that as well. But Reese James, another, another hamstring injury, another one. I think if I remember when I did the video midweek, it was, I think this is fourth one in, in, in a short space of time in terms of, you know, a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, I mean, hamstrings made a cheese string. I mean, it's mental. I, I, I can't, I can't believe that it, it I just, I just can't believe it's another muscular injury. I, I'm on, I mean, you said before, there's a couple of fans or a, a major, uh, you know percentage of fans who want to sell him or don't want him in the team. And I am one of those now at this point because you can't, we can't rely on him. You know, you can't rely on a player who has so much quality and, and, and does change the game when he's, you know, full fit, you know, he's fully fit. He changes the game for us, but we don't see it often enough. And I think, my worry is that we'll end up with a player that we eventually lose on a free or we, you know, he has to early retirement, whatever the case is, when we could have cashed in, you know, and I feel that's for me at the moment now, we need to cash in and look at maybe replacing someone of that quality, you know, bringing someone, I don't think Malagusto could do that week in, week out, but we need to bring in someone with the quality that can change games for us as much as Reese James has. But what's your thoughts on on Reese James? You mentioned... There's a divide in terms of the fan base. Which side of the fence are you on? Are you keep him for now? Hopefully get the surgery, reassess him in the summer, pre-season, or should we look at maybe, you know, Real Madrid have came, came knocking before. Hopefully they come again. But if they did, would you be on that side to try and sell him in the summer? 
I really understand both kind of perspective of the fans wanting to sell him and the other perspective wanting to give him time, um, keep faith in him, get him the surgery, give him all the support he needs. Um, it's a tricky one because like you mentioned in your previous recording, you've got no sentimental attachment to any player now that plays for Chelsea. Yeah. I still have sentimental attachment. He's one of those players that won us the Champions League in 2021. He was part of that squad alongside Silva and um, Chilwell. Um, so those are the kind of like small crop of players that I still really love. And I know that they're maybe amongst a small percentage of the players that love the check the club, the badge, and everything that represents Chelsea Football Club. But that being said, his injury record is just so infuriating and it's taking away game time from another player that could get a consistent run of games, develop, be in the first team more often, and that is more match fit in a way and ready to play games. I think it was in Madrid, they wanted to take him for, I think, 80, 90 million a year or two ago, which is a lot of money for a, for a, a fullback. Um, and do we... Maybe we would learn from the mistakes of Hudson Odoi when Bayern Munich came in with, like, was it 50, 60 million pounds? Yeah. And we kind of refused it, got him to sign a new contract. Then it was all downhill for him from there. Mm-hmm. And now he's on, he's, he's out of Nottingham Forest. I think he even left for a free, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Um, so you've got to kind of be maybe a bit, a bit frugal, a bit, um, smart in our decisions. But then again, you can't give the captain's armband to someone and tell him next summer you're gone. So I think that mistake of the captain's armband in hindsight was, was really foolish of us. I don't know why you just don't give it to a more experienced player like a Sterling, like a Silva. Um, but instead you give it to a player who's only 23, 24, I think. Um, he's very young. He's not, like we spoke about before, he's quite ill-disciplined as well. Mm. And he's got an injury record. He'll play maybe max 15 games a season, if we're lucky. Um, so yeah, that was a big mistake. I get, I kind of understand Potch's full process wanting to kind of give the confidence to the youth and let them be the kind of focal point of this squad but look in hindsight it just hasn't worked out so far mm. um just gonna go i think segment to what we're going to talk about later kind of transfer targets in january but it's frustrating i'm still very on the fence i'm kind of in between the 50 percent that want him um out and the 50 percent that want to give him time and keep their, their faith in him yeah i mean i'm i'm definitely don't you know obviously appreciate the sentiment that he holds with you but i just think that now we have to cut our losses where we do. And I think we've been stung in the past. You know, I think when you look back, like you said, Callum Hudson-Odoi being a, a prime example, I really wanted him to thrive at the club. I remember at one point I wanted Ruben Loftus-Cheek to thrive at the club. Conor Gallagher, another one. I wanted to thrive Mason Mount. You know, I wanted all these players to do well at the club and and albeit some of them have gone on and they've done really well. We look at Tomori for AC Milan. Um, very last ditch. I don't know if you got to see his tackle against the Almiron yeah. last ditch on the, on the goal line. So I think, you know, look, I, I want every player who plays for Chelsea to do well. And, I, you know, you don't want to see a player, you know, with an early retirement or um, with, with with the possibility of missing, you know, 70, 80% of a season. But if we want the club to do well and to progress and to go forward and to try and build momentum to win a Champions League or win the Premier League, we do need players that are fully fit at least, you know, 80 or 70% of the season. And I just don't think the amount of injuries is, you know, muscular injuries or knee injuries or ankle injuries and, you know, hamstrings is the worst one because I think, I was reading with Reese James, if he has the surgery in the summer, it could actually make it worse in terms of, um, you know, he, you never recover and that's probably one of the reasons why he's never gone under the knife because he knows that should he have this surgery, it could potentially even fast track his his retirement. It could could make it worse. So, there's no guarantee having a surgery is going to rectify the issues that he's currently having. I do think, and I've said this before on here, you know, I think when you're a, a defender, you, you're, you're carrying that much muscle, upper body muscle, and um, 
it, it's going to impact you because you're playing a contact sport. I think I said it in a week, you know, you're playing a contact sport and it's it's going to be difficult to, to to constantly go through those tackles, those battles with forwards or midfield, whoever you're, you, you know, you're, you're challenging for the ball. It's going to be difficult to constantly do that. You are going to pick up injuries, but some people's bodies are just not built for football. And he's, I think he's one of them. I just don't think he's got the body um, that can be maintained for a whole season to get through a season without injuries like this that sidelines him for three or four months. And it's a shame for him because, he's, as I said, he's one of the, you know, I put my head of Trent, I put my head of Carl Walker, uh, Kieran Trippier in terms of right backs. He's one of the best in the world at what he does, but we don't see it often enough. And I think that for me is the, the worry that we don't see it in, enough. And, uh, you know, I do feel eventually, you know, he'll run down his contracts, you know, he's on a good, good contract, good deal. Um, but we'll be the ones in the long run that will suffer because we won't have anyone physically that can play there and we'll shoehorn, you know, Mark Cucurea or Dazazi into that position. Um, especially this season, we'll have to shoehorn someone in there because obviously Malagusto is another one that I think we both said maybe hasn't got the best injury record when we signed him as well. Um, again, another one is injured. You know, I think he came to the club injured as well. So he came, yeah, we signed him, I think, in January, and then he actually ended up coming back to Cobham for his rehabilitation, yeah. his recovery. Um, yeah. pictures of him in a training kit at Cobham, you know, yeah. recovery room. Um, so yeah, clearly he doesn't have the best injury record either. So it's, it is a worry, it's something that you know, I'm, I'm sure I can see, like you said, you know, I can see why it's divided in the fan base, but um, for me, cash in while we can and let's reuse that money for, for better use. But um, let's talk wider about transfers because obviously you mentioned before we've been linked with. Um, strikers, I, I still think, I mean, I, I read this, I think it was yesterday, we, we linked again with Aaron Ramsdale from Arsenal, um, which I, I just don't, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. But in terms of the transfer targets, I think we we usually try and assess what positions we need to fill and, you know, the criteria and the priority of getting those in order. What would you say in terms of our targets should we be trying to to get through um, in the winter if we can maybe in the summer window if we can't uh, achieve that in the winter one I think my priority needs to be a striker it really needs to be a striker it needs to be a striker like I just said um, that's got better attributes and a better profile to be our number nine than the likes of Jackson Broja and that can play a supportive role alongside an Nkuku or just ahead of Nkuku mm. um, to be that kind of prolific or strike force that we need um but by the looks of it, it seems like we're being linked to a goalkeeper, centre-back, midfielder and striker, which is absurd given the amount of money we've spent in the last two or three windows. Um, I think it's Nizar, Nizar Kinsella put a tweet up mentioning the five-man shortlist of strikers that in January that Chelsea are interested in. Hmm. And no surprises, that list includes um, Napoli's Victor Osserman, who I'm a big fan of. I think you're slightly more on the fence about him. Hmm. Um, Brentford's Ivan Tony, who I know you're a big fan of. Um, and maybe I'm a bit more, I do like him, but maybe I'm a bit more on the fence, but he is Premier League experience proven and he's the right age for me to be a striker that could come in and have an instant impact. Yeah. And then the three kind of a bit more surprise mentions are um, Sporting Lisbon's uh, Victor Giocoresh. I think I pronounced that right. Um, I'll leave that one to you. Six, <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I, I know that they, they brought him in from Coventry. Yeah, um, I watched him for Coventry a lot. Yes. He's a, he was good. Yeah. Yeah, they brought him in from Coventry. I think he was a maybe a record signing or, or yeah. record sale at the time of Coventry. Six foot two Swedish international, and he scored 15 goals in 18 matches so far for Sporting CP. Um, 25 years old, and he's got an 87 million pound release clause, which is the thing that slightly worries me because you just know that it could be the type of player we spend a crazy amount of money on, and maybe 
he's still quite unproven never played in the Premier League yeah yeah, yeah. And then the two other names who I don't think are exactly strikers but more maybe number 10s or offensive players Copenhagen's Ronnie Bad Baji, I think I pronounced that right again. I'll leave that one to you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I got a glimpse of him against United and he was one of the, one of the goal scorers when right. Copenhagen played United um, at the park in, in, um, in um, the Champions League. And then the last one is Club Bruges, Antonio's, Antonio Nusa, who's a very exciting young player. But again, I use the word young and I don't want young anymore. Yeah. I, want, I want someone who's proven and that's why I'm more leaning towards the Taconis and the Ossermans. Um, so yeah, I would really go for a striker. It seems like possibly one of those five. Um, I think a goalkeeper, you mentioned Ramsdale, there's some other names that I've really, I'm really a big fan of. I really like um, uh, Georgie Mamadishvili from Valencia. I think he's a fantastic shot stopper. Um, mm-hmm. There's also um, Unai Simon from Athletic, uh, Bill yeah. Bauer. Um, good keeper, really good with his feet as well. Um, and then... Last option, which I know is quite a controversial one, and I think he's a fantastically... Some people say he's crazily overrated, which for me makes him underrated, is Emiliano Martinez from Aston Villa. Yeah, yeah. But he's a good goalkeeper. King, very good goalkeeper. King of the shithousery, I know that. I know. That's, but, <laughs> I'm glad you just said that because that was on the tip of my tongue. He is, and yeah. Sometimes you need that in a, in a club as well. You need that in a squad. You need someone that's going to do that. And... As a goalkeeper, you want your goalkeeper to be confident. Yeah. You don't want a goalkeeper yeah, that's yeah. going to shy away from things, be a bit nervy. Yeah. And for me, Martinez is a World Cup winner now. You don't you don't win a World Cup with a dodgy keeper. So for me, he's a, but then again, for me, why would he leave Villa for this current Chelsea project? Well, when you're sitting third, Villa are flying high. You're sitting you know, third in the sitting table. sitting third, yeah. You know, it's, it's, a good, it's a good shout. It's a good shout though. I, yeah. I agree. Um, Worry with Osman now. I think he's um, he's just signed a new deal yesterday, or he's expected to sign one, which then has I think is a hundred and thirty. It might be more, but hundred and thirty euro million release clause in there. Now, obviously, he signed that deal because Napoli know that there's going to be clubs fishing around him in the, if if not in the winter, in the summer. Um, he signed it possibly because he wants to give you know assurances to Napoli that they're going to get the right fee for him as well. My worry is that I think. Chelsea would try and activate that release clause. And I, I think from what I read, you know, there's talk of even the likes of Malagusto, Desazi, uh, Conor Gallagher, Trevor Chalaba, all of these players are on a, a list of players that are no longer required at the club to, to try and facilitate that move. That worries me a lot because, it, I mean, we're talking about, I mean, we've got to remember, we only spent over 100 million, I think two years ago on Lukaku. We're going to spend another 100 and plus million and another striker that potentially, I know he scored midweek. I think I told you the stats and you you put me to shame uh, midweek because I think Hussman did score. But before that, you know, I think I gave you the stats. You know, he hadn't scored. Oakland played from, I think, back in the September. He scored a penalty uh, 8th of October for Napoli. And albeit, yes, he missed some of those games in between because of the controversy that happened with, with the club. But even so, a striker who's struggling in Serie A worries me to come into the Premier League because it is a different ball game. It is more intense the the, uh, the 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 pace of the league as well, and it just worries me that we haven't. I mean, I don't watch Serie A week in week out, so I don't want to say that you know he brings other things. There's other things that I know about him in terms of attributes that he brings to the game. I don't watch Serie A like that anymore, so I can't really give that assessment. But from when when I do watch him, <clears throat> yes, he's a brilliant striker. Yes, he can hold the ball up. Yes, he's you know runs makes the runs into the box. Yes, he can he can he's got the strength to take on defenders. But I think Ivan Tony can do that and. Your man from Coventry, I'm not going to pronounce his name, but 
he can he can also do that. Again, my worry is he's never played at the top level and you know scoring goals in and it sounds very disrespectful, but scoring goals in the Portuguese league and in the championship is one thing. But coming into a Premier League team where the expectation is going to be so much higher, um, really good record, you know, for for sport in Lisbon at the moment. But coming to the prep to a team that's very disjointed and you know is very unbalanced worries me. Who we bring in? I am still on the the, the line of Ivan Tony. My only downside, and I'm, you, you know, you've convinced me over the last couple of weeks about this, is his age. You know, twenty nine. Yes, we want experience in the squad, but how long are we going to be able to sustain an Ivan Tony? Is it two or three seasons? Then we have to replace him again. So that makes me go back to Osterman and maybe go for the younger player. Um, I think he'll get the Arsenal move. I think he wants the Arsenal move. Um, he said that in you know interviews that he's done recently as well, but. I agree with you. We need a centre forward. We need someone that can come in and, and, and as I said, lead the line, confident in front of goal. Um, as a bonus, someone who's played in the league, so that obviously leaves, you know, Ivan Tony's as the only one. But I think we just need to be careful how we spend the money. And that's what worries me. You know, um, this talk about Thiago Silva not renewing his contract beyond the end of this season. You look at the defence that we've got now currently with Fafana, um, Badishil, and Dasazi, Cowell. It doesn't really fill me with joy. And it goes back to your point about leadership and having someone in the back of that line that can drive the players, galvanize them, get them by the scruff of the neck, control them almost, you know, be the be the voice at the back. We don't we won't have that. So that does worry me as well. So I think striker, centre back. I mean, let's talk about midfielders. I, I, I mean, I just blows my mind to think we've spent 250 million on two midfielders, Isaac, Enzo Fernandez and Caicedo. We've still got Lavia waiting in the wings that we haven't even seen kick a football for us yet. Um, you know, Ugunchuku, who I do like, I think he's a very good player. We've still got Conor Gallagher on the books as well who can fit into that role at times. So I don't think we should be prioritising the midfielder. I really don't. Um, for me, it's a centre-back, a, a goalkeeper, yes, but I think Potichino's heavily hell-bent on sticking with Sanchez as his number one, especially for this season. But the striker has to be the priority. It has to be. You know, the one thing that we're struggling with is scoring goals. Um, it has to be a striker. Yeah, and you, you said it quite well. We've got a lot of depth in midfield and we've got some brilliant players out on loan. Andre Santos, yeah. Cassidy. Yeah. I don't know how well, how much game time they're getting. I think there might be a couple of recalls in January, particularly of Andre Santos, but their options potentially we can look at and explore uh, in January or in the summer should we need some reinforcements in midfield. I think... I think Tony and Osserman, brilliant players, are going to cost us an arm and a leg, going to be really expensive. But we need, we need, we need results on the pitch now. Mm. We can't allow getting this Giocares or this this um, Club Bruges or um, Copenhagen player and say, oh, they're quite young, they're quite inexperienced. We need to give them one or two seasons for them to adapt. We can't afford that anymore. We won't have time. We need someone. We have time, and that's why I want, I want results immediately on the pitch. And that's why I'm leaning more towards, like you said, Tony, despite his age. If you can get us goals for the next three seasons, mm. get us back in, push us up the table. That's yeah. what we need. Yeah. We, signed, we signed Silva when he was 36, expecting him to be, only be here for a year. And he's still at the club. And that would be our best, our best signing in the last decade, I'd say almost. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a quite a debate about, I think, goalkeeper, striker, not midfield. Um, and possibly, I mean, centre-back, like you said, once we lose Silva, we're sure I don't trust any of those four centre-backs you listed. And we saw that against Everton. Without Silva, we look we look lost. We keep saying we need to rest Silva. We need to mm. wrap him up in, in cotton wool so he's fresh for the next game. But yeah. re- re- 
realistically, we look a bit lost without Silva. He's not only a leader, he's our most experienced player. He's the one who kind of gets the back, um, the back line in, um, in order. Um, so it's going to be quite a scary kind of thought not having Silva in his squad next season and how messy our defence could look without him. Mm. Uh, I think the only sits or saving grace to that is, I think you've mentioned on here before, that his son's um, signed up to the academy at Chelsea now. So I'm, I'm hoping that kind of means he'll want to stay in London for you know two or three years at least. You know, a coaching role, in a coaching role capacity, I think Thiago Silva would probably thrive and um, that might help some of our centre-backs, you know, especially with the age that they are, um, the inexperience at times that they've got. He might be able to help develop that off the field. So I wouldn't be against that at all. I think he's someone that would come in as a coach and hopefully coach them well. I mean, imagine, can you imagine having John Terry and Thiago Silva as the, the defensive coaches? I mean, there'd be no more excuses, but I'd, I'd want a clean sheet at least, you know, three clean sheets a month at least. <laughs> Um, you know, it was um, when when Terry was at Villa. I think all the I think it was Michael Richards or someone who said recently he was one of the best coaches to have from a defensive perspective. Oh yeah. So if you've got a Terry or a Silva to give you tips on your football and be on the training ground, it'd be mm. exceptional for us. Um, I thought you were going to mention having Silver's son in the academy might mean in a couple of years we have another Silver in the first team, we which is <laughs> we could do. Never uh, say never. Yeah. Never say never. It's happened before. So um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of transfers was obviously there was an agreement, I think, from the Premier League clubs now um, in terms of the, the length of contracts that we're able to to offer to players. I think it's been reduced from, I think, from seven or eight years to five years capped. Um, are you in agreement with that? Or do you feel that, and Chelsea wanted the clubs that were um, for this new ruling to come in. So um, we weren't against it, but are you in, in agreement that this is the right thing to do and it stops, you know, the, the lengthy contracts that certain players have currently had in the last, you know, 18 months? I think if a player is willing to accept an eight-year deal, let them accept it and it amortizes the costs across the board and that's why Chelsea found that loophole and they did it to be able to avoid any potential, we're still unsure yet, um, FFP mm. um, punishments. Um, in hindsight now, some of those players we signed in those lengthy deals for me, just aren't oh, Chelsea quality. Madueke be the Madueke is the even <laughs> so. Yeah. In hindsight, I feel like we should just be more, more kind of normal in our approach and just give them the, the traditional four or five year ones and avoid all these crazy eight year ones. Because now we've got all these crazy players on our books that we probably can't sell because of the their contracts. And Mudrick for me is just not Chelsea quality. Um, I've given him a year now and I want him out, but it's so easy to say I want him out, but we can't get him out. No one will sign him. No one will pay his his transfer fee. So I'm a bit neutral on this one, um, but I think the strategy has worked for us from a business perspective, but from an actual results from the pitch perspective, not hasn't worked. Mm. I think it's, um, yeah, it's a worry for me. And I think that's why I, when I speak to some Chelsea fans, I try and explain it to them that, yes, we want rid of these players. And you just said it perfectly well, that, you know, we're going to make a loss on some of these players. And that then has an impact on FFP on how much we can spend and the rest of it. And I think this is why the likes of Conor Gallagher, Trevor Chalobah will be at the top of that list of players that we don't want or we want to try and sell, um, whether we agree with that or not. But it's going to be pure profit. So, you know, we can get 100% profit from all of those signings. And I think when you look at the model as it is at the moment where we're signing these players to these lengthy contracts and then we're, we're already looking at getting... I mean, you've got to remember, we signed Kulabali one season and he was gone within 12 months. You know that, that, that can't you can't sustain that as a as a business model for for too long because eventually it will catch up with you whether it's FFP or you just don't you know it's not sustainable whether you're a billion pound company or a, a one pound company it just doesn't you can't sustain that sort of spending I, I don't think for for a long period of time so I think for me the worry at the moment is I don't trust 
you know, the Paul Winstanleys and, and, and everyone else who's involved in the recruitment to get it right. I read yesterday that I think Potticino doesn't really have the final say on who comes into the club in the next couple of windows. It's, it's going to be those above him who are working alongside Todd Bowley and co who will make those final decisions, who will decide who comes in based on the data and the analytics and all the rest of it, which is which is great if we've got proof in the podding to pack, back it up. If we've watched a player bang in 20 goals and great, let's use the analytics. But if we're just using data for potential, that worries me that we're going to spend another 500 million on potential players that we might end up losing in 12 months. So that worries me as a, as a model. I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. So that's a worry for me. Um, let, let's, let's talk about, um, cause there was a, a, um, a statement put out by Chelsea this week, which was around, um, the online abuse, racial abuse that Lauren James, um, suffered in the last, um, game against Arsenal at the weekend. And it's a shame because, um, I don't know if you've read, but there's, I think this is the first weekend where there's going to be a female referee referee in the game and um, the, the first referee that's a, a, a black uh, referee since I think Uriah Rennie 15 years ago or, or, uh, so it kind of comes into that sort of territory of you know even in this modern day now 2023 we're still talking about you know the first female referee which I don't, me personally I don't think we should be I think there should have been you know female referees in, in English football well before now it shouldn't have been 15 years before we'll see another black referee at the top of, of, of English football. But it just it's just sad to see that there's still, um, you know, whether you want to call them trolls or just idiots, whatever, who even after a game still feel necessary to go online and, um, you know, racially abuse a player just for the... I mean, I don't condone what Lauren Jane's done. I think it was, I mean, let's be honest, it was a, a sneaky challenge, but it doesn't warrant the abuse that follows after that as well, which is which is a shame. And I know Chelsea, as I say, put out a statement and Emma Hayes has also backed that up, but still, still crazy to think that it's happening in, in 2023. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely bonkers and it's really crazy. Um, I mean, I any form of racism and um, online abuse is horrible, but yeah. when it's in the women's game, we're all trying to, to support it, to really push it out, to really get it to a broader audience. It's even more disgusting, in my opinion, because last, last season when I, I managed to get a ticket for the Chelsea versus Barcelona um, Champions League women's semi-final at Stamford Bridge, even the Chelsea fans were applauding the Barcelona players when they won. Mm. It just goes to show that we're all trying to kind of push the sport in the right direction in the kind of in the industry it is. And, it's, and I feel the fact that Lauren James is a fantastic player He's getting that type of abuse is it's despicable. It's 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 horrendous, and no no player warrants that, whether they're a, a man or a, or a woman, the color of their skin, whatever it is. So yeah, it's, it's, I think Emma Hayes put it really well, and she kind of really protected her player um, afterwards. Um, I know that the we've spoken about this both on WhatsApp that the you know the James siblings need to kind of be a bit more disciplined and be a bit more sensible with what they do on and off the pitch, but um, but. I mean, come on, just these trolls online nowadays, they, they've got a keyboard, they've got no identity, no no passport numbers, no ID numbers linked to their accounts, and they just feel like they can do whatever they want. Um, I think it's in, because of online abuse. I also saw another video of, kind of Arsenal fans giving her friendly banter after yeah. the match when she was driving out. I think it was Sam Kerr, actually, not Lloyd yeah, James, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all for that. Yeah, I'm course. all for that. Um, but the online abuse when it's, you know, people are probably reading it before bed when they're at home in their private life, in their own bubbles, that's when it's just not acceptable, really not acceptable at all. I, I say not really. It's just 
not acceptable. Um, yep. So yeah, I feel like um, these statements now are just becoming so rinse and repeat. But when is it going to happen that actual actual action is taken um, and we kind of kick this out of football completely or kick it out of life completely? I mean, I think it's always going to be an issue. I think it's always going to be a societal issue uh, more than a footballing issue. I think, you know, you could take it away from football and it's still heavily, you know, embedded in um, society, you know, every day. And it's not just racial, it's a uh, cultural, um, you know, religion as well. You know, so many things that just could come with that. So it's, it's, I think it's embedded socially and I think it will never change. I just think it's, it's more punishable. I think there needs to be more um, deterrence for, for people who do that. And, and there was one, I think, uh, only this week who racially abused Rio Ferdinand who got six months imprisonment for it. So I think things are changing. Um, but even Emma Hayes said, you know, and this is a very good point, you know, it's not just fans, you know, the media, you know, uh, uh, stir a lot of this, you know, the media, I think, I think in her, her, her comments, Emma Hayes said that, you know, it's not just, um, trying to find it here now. Of course I've lost the page. Right. So she says here, um, I've lost it. I don't know who's going to lose it. But she's basically saying that the media also have a part to play in, mm -hmm. you know, adding to that fuel to the fire, basically. Um, they don't help, you know. So I think there's a role that the, the media need to play in terms of how they um, paint a picture of someone in the media, make them the villain almost. Um, yeah, they might make a mistake, but then I think those, it's very strange how the words are used for a particular person when they're not of, of, of such race or whatever. So I think the media have got a massive part to play. You know, they have to, to have to play their part in trying to combat that as well. But I, I, I think it's a societal issue and hopefully it gets stamped out. Hopefully we see more people punished for it in terms of an imprisonment or, you know, a, a stadium ban forever. But, you know, small steps. And like you said, you know, the women's game that they're trying to make sure is not clean, but, it, you know, promote it in a, in a, a way that it's just as good as any other league, any other sport, um, it's it, it now starting to get masked over by what we also see in the men's game as well, off, you know, week in, week out. You know, there's a, a different case of that. So I, I don't think it's going to change, but I think there has to be more punishable things that come in to, to try and combat that. Definitely, yeah. Let, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, let's talk about, now I've just been, as we've been talking, um, bit of update on the injury news. So, Robert Sanchez is out for the game. So is Reese James that we know of. Mark Cucurea will not be fit for this game. Malagusto is back in training, but would you really trust him um, to come back in against Sheffield United, who may cause us problems at Stamford Bridge? I mean, what, what's your expectations going into this game? Um, it's going to be difficult, but surely, I can't believe I'm going to say it, but surely we get a win against Sheffield United at Stamford Bridge. If we don't beat Sheffield United tomorrow at 3pm, Stamford Bridge, who are rock bottom of the Premier League and have probably been one of the worst promoted teams I've seen in a long time, probably since Derby in 2006, I think we would have reached an all-time low. Um, one thing that I'm a bit scared about, they've obviously just sacked um, Higginbottom. Yep. Some teams often see a bit of a new manager bounce after they've, they've got a new interim manager or a new manager in. Uh, Saturday last Saturday last week they beat Brentford 1-0 so they could have a bit of confidence and a bit of a boost after that result but other than that 2-0 um, lost to Liverpool the week before uh, midweek week before that 5-0 lost to, Burn, um, to Burnley who are also in abysmal form 
um, we've got to be winning. Um, I think at home this season, our last home game was against Brighton. We managed to snatch the win. And then it was a two-away defeat since then. Um, so for me, it's a must-win. We say this a lot, must-win. But you look at the run-up games we've got after Sheffield. Um, Wolves on on uh, New Year's, Christmas Eve with Newcastle and the cup squeezed in between. Mm. And then we've got um, Crystal Palace on the 27th, I believe, and yep. um, Luton right before the New Year. Those are games that we can, we should and we can win if we've just got a bit of fight and a bit of can quality believe, in the can squad. Can you say that though? I mean, <laughs> I believe like nowadays of Chelsea, I'm just, I believe everything. We could lose 5-0 tomorrow and I would still yeah, believe yeah. it in a way. That's how... Um, one thing that worries me, I'm, it's a bit of a banter here, but they've got that one chap, I think Oli McBurney. Yeah. I think he loves a goal against us. Yeah, he yeah, loves the good. goal he's against us. He's a good striker. Us. We've got to be treated yeah. with respect. I think he's a good striker. Yeah. And they had that other guy, I think, thank God I Googled him before the pods, but um, McGoldrick, he's McGoldrick, gone now. yeah, yeah. He's gone. He's, 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 a, um, he's a... I watched him the other night at Middles... Middles I think he's, he's somewhere... Northampton? Somewhere like I'm that. Sure, he's at a lower league now, yeah. Yeah, but he's gone and he always used to score against us. Um, I hated him. <laughs> Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the, the two mucks, the two McGoldrick and McBurney, they would yeah, just yeah. haunt us, I remember. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a game we should we can be winning. You mentioned those injuries there. Um, no proper fullbacks. If Cucurella, Gusto and James aren't fit. No um, Chilwell. Probably needs a, no Chilwell either. Um, I forget about Chilwell a lot this season. Um, it's a game where I think we should be playing Matson. I wanted him in the Everton team. I know his future is a doubt in January, but you've got to be playing your, your fullbacks in a game like this, especially if the Sassy switches to um, to right back. Um, I would go with Matson at left back. If not, we're going to have to be with play with Colwell again at left back, and it's worked at times and it really hasn't at other times. Yeah, um, I don't know what to say. I think I I think when what I've just been reading. Um, Sanchez is sidelined for weeks, so I would say Petrovic really has to have the game of his of his life. Um, show a bit of fight, commitment, maybe try and pinch the number one spot from from Sanchez. This is, this is probably the, the best time to try and do that with the games that you just mentioned. You know, yes, you're going to come up against some some half decent strikers, but I think you're not playing against Haaland. You're not playing against you know um, a Saka. You know, someone who is lively at Mo Salah. You're playing against strikers that hopefully aren't going to give you too much worry. So I think Petrovic has had a really good game for us. I, I, I do agree. And I, I always say, if you've got someone on the bench, who can play the role, play him. I just, I can't get past the Matson. I want him out of the club. So, but I, I do, I do think he has to play a role. He's still contracted to the club. He's still got a job to fulfill. Um, I did read something about Roy Colwell's been playing left back and it's to do with a height issue at left back that Potticino's picked up on the fact that we don't have much height on that left side um hasn't really helped us hasn't really changed anything we still need goals from set plays so I don't understand it hasn't really worked for us you know it hasn't really benefited us doing that but I think I think Desazi will play right back um I think Kowal will play left back I think Patuccino's got his trusted players that he wants to start with and they are those players whether whether you agree with it or I agree with it I don't think it is the case I think I, I'm Ian Matson should be starting for me because um, it's naturally mm. left-sided. Is he can play in that role? But I just look at, I just look at, I just look at where we are now in terms of the injuries and who's played in there before when we've had these injuries. I would say it's going to be Cowell and maybe Dezazi and maybe then Badiashi or Thiago Silva as the centre backs. Uh, I think he'll go with that. But I don't, I don't agree with it. But I think that's where he'll go with. 
Yeah, no, I think um, I want Madsen, but I'd have to agree. I think Poch would probably opt for Colwell on the left side once more. Who, who are we going for in uh, in midfield? I spoke about depth before this, but obviously Lavia and the other depth that I mentioned is all out on loan. So um, it's, I think you've just got to play stick with Enzo, mm. Caicedo and Gallagher um, just ahead of them. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I think, um, just sorry, I'm just looking at the my watch is going off because obviously the, the press conference. So uh, Potichino has said that Nkunku will be playing some part tomorrow, whether that's starting or on the bench. So my question to you, which before that came up, was would you start him? And I think we asked this question last week. If he's on the bench, then he's he's good enough to start. But he, he surely you'd stick with Conor Gallagher just ahead of him. Um, maybe then Cole Palmer, Raheem Sterling on the wings. Um, I don't know if you go with that three of, of, of um, Palmer left, Sterling right, Gallagher in the middle. Yeah, I go with that three. And then Brozier leading in line. I don't want Madrid anywhere near the starting eleven. I mean, I don't, I don't understand with Mudrick because I think the only game I've really watched of him that has has been of any significance really was the Liverpool game. Uh, I think when he came on, made his debut for yeah. half forty five minutes against yeah. Liverpool, cameo, and then yeah. the Fulham game where he scored his goal, and then the fluky one against Arsenal. And other than that, yeah, Casper like, the friendly goes for Jimmy. <laughs> he literally has. He literally has. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd have to go with Broyo leading the line. I want to, as I said last week, I want to see more consistency from him. I don't think he had the best game against Everton, but I do feel, yeah. as I've said before, there's a player in there that I can trust. And I, I mean, someone made a comp- uh, a video comp of all the misses of, of, of Nicholas Jackson. It's about two minutes long. It tells you how many misses he's made already. Um, oh, I just can't believe all the, some, some of them are so basic. Some of them, yes, other strikers would, would probably miss them, but some of them are basic goals that he should yeah. be scoring. Yeah. So, Bro's just I'll, got to yeah, I'll back our strikers and I, I get, obviously we've had strikers in the past the likes of Chechenko, Torres who have missed kind of oh, yeah. golden chances but for me it's it's Jackson's body language yeah, that yeah, infuriates yeah. me. Yeah. His body language and his attitudes and he, that mentality to be our number nine and that's just not there for me. Um, are, are the blue balloons going to be placed behind the goal? Should and yeah, yeah. score. Of course, of course. Or is it a tra- trademark celebration? Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't put it past him. I think from what Pochettino is saying there, you know, it's very good news that he can he can be part of the team. We just have to be patient. So I think he'll feature, even if we're, you know, 1-0, 2-0 down, um, you know, 60 minutes in, 70 minutes in, I'd like to see him get 20 minutes tomorrow. Um, I think I think Chelsea fans need that sort of boost as well to see someone that we've kind of, not me, but a lot of Chelsea fans have put a lot of expectation on as well, just to give them a bit of reassurance that he can do a job for us. Um, so I think if he can play some part tomorrow, then definitely he's got to be involved. But the Blues have to be behind the goal because I think if he comes on, yeah. he scores. I think he scores. I'll be honest. I think if, if he comes on and he's got plenty of time to get into the groove of the game and link up with Palmer and Sterling, I think he'll get a goal. Yeah, I'd agree. I think if, if it's nil-nil at half-time, or even if we're losing by one or two goals at half-time, I think he'll get 45 minutes yeah. and it'll be a automatic substitution um, right before the break uh, right after the break yeah as long as we keep 11 men in the pitch which is always a worry for me because our discipline record has been abysmal um, recently but I I do think if we can keep 11 men on the pitch um, we stand every chance of beating Sheffield United tomorrow so I think we've got our our predicted line up there Um, we're going to go for our prediction as we always do I've been I've been really poor this season with them so yeah I don't think I've gotten a single one right on uh, on the app or on the pod. I think on the app, the only one I got right was the 1-1 draw 
um, with Liverpool in the first game of the season. And I think they're 3-0 against Luton. Um, other than that, I've got every single one wrong. But I think, I mean, surely we've got to win. Surely. <laughs> um, I'm saying nothing. And uh, I forgot to mention this, I'm sat in the East Lower tomorrow. Uh-huh. And that usually brings luck. Is that, that the, brings luck when we're There we go. Yeah. There we go. So I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea. Yeah, I'm going to be confident this week. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling confident. My watch is going crazy because Potticino's giving us the, the good vibes. So I'm going to go 2-0 Chelsea. Um, I, I do agree with you. Uh, Chris Wilder coming back. And to be fair, Sheffield United played really well against Liverpool. But I do think we all, we should have enough to beat them. And I'm going to go 2-0 Chelsea. I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for... I'm going to go for goal scorers as well. I'm going to go for Raheem Sterling and Christopher... And Kunku, get that balloon ready. We're going to need the balloon. Second half, I think we're going to see a goal from Nkunku tomorrow. I really do. Yeah, I'm going to go with the two French boys, Badiashil and Nkunku as well. Interesting. Um, I forgot about Wilder. I forgot about it was Wilder who's come back and that's going to just bring them that kind of feel good and nostalgic vibe. So yeah, yeah. more more worried after you mentioned his name. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But uh, hopefully we get the three points and, you know, 3pm kickoff, I think. I feel like it's been the first 3 p.m. kickoff in a while. I think we had, I don't think this has been the we haven't played 3 p.m. for a while. Maybe two two or three weeks. Newcastle, I think, was 3 p.m., wasn't yeah, it? Two um, weeks ago, I think. Um but yeah, it doesn't matter kick off at 1 a.m. I still need three points from the boys. So um let us know your thoughts in the comments. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel, like this video, and also let us know your predicted lineups, your score lines as well. Make sure you hit the link tree link in the description. That will take you to all the social accounts and all the previous podcast episodes as well. Theo, as always, thank you very much for joining in. As always, uh, enjoy the tech.